season to bathtub Ohio bathtub season to best friends no clothing confusing bathtub season Howdy. Well, how do you do? <laughs> Doing okay. How are you? <laughs> you know, I am warm. I am fucking warm. My hot water was out. I haven't showered in a few days because of that. And they fixed it today. And they fixed it a little too well because I had the formula down perfect. We had done seven episodes of perfect baths. <laughs> and now I'm sweating my goddamn ass off. Well, at least you're in the bathtub, so your ass will sweat and be clean at once. It'll be contained at least once it sweats off. <laughs> you don't want your ass to get away from you. <laughs> you definitely don't want to you lose keep your it ass. Contained. I mean, that's just good life advice. Keep your ass contained when you can. Oh, Jesus. We're off to a great start, Corey. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just saying before we started rolling that I didn't have a fun thing to start with like I've been trying to do. So it worked out. It worked out great. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Corey, if you didn't catch that. I'm Austin. I don't even know if I said that ever, but I'm Austin, debatably. We said it at the end of one episode, which was an interesting choice. You know... I stand by interesting choices. Like this drink I'm about to open. Oh, you were talking about Aldi the last few episodes. This is an Aldi special. It is their Nature's Nectar Sparkling Fresh Cranberry Ginger Cider. Now, how fresh it is, I'm not sure, because I believe this is either from last fall or this spring, and it's been in my fridge this whole time. It has an expiration of last month, so it still should be good. It should be fine. Yeah, let's see how this is. I remember it being good when I originally bought the pack of them. Tastes like I remember. What are you drinking tonight? So tonight I have Sledgehammer Forged Red Blend Wine. Oh my. A whole bottle of it. Oh my. And I also have uh, Casey Jones Pre-Roll. Oh my? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What are you dipping your sack in tonight? soup it's the wettest of foods i've got some interesting stuff going on tonight i knew i couldn't one up the avengers black panther bath bomb i had last (laughs) episode because that is just amazing so i kind of had to mix and match to make something just as interesting i have as my bath bomb oh snap gingerbread cookie scented bath fizz along with Dr. Teal's Pure Epsom Salt, Calm Your Mind, Ashwagandha, and Essential Oils. It says it has Ashwagandha Indian Winter. Cherry helps comfort and de-stress mind. That's not a sentence. (laughs) But also, on top of that, I decided to go multi-sensual, and I've got some incense burning. It is 
the Satya Natural Rose Incense. So like the brand that makes the blue Nag Champa and the black super hit that's like super famous. This is their rose. Very nice. And it smells quite nice. It's a little smoky in the bath tonight. Sounds absolutely lovely. It will be smoky in my bath soon. I, I do this every time. I never bring a damn ashtray. Oh well. Just dump it in the bath water. I do, but I'm trying to be better. Better than what? <laughs> My soap tonight was gifted to me by my friend Alicia. It is a cassette tape bath bomb, mango scented from Spectral Frequency, and somewhere in this tub with me is a gray Botswana agate stone. Oh, getting mineral with your bath. Geological in the bathtub. Oh, you know it. <laughs> Crystals up my fading ass. At least it's a contained one. Yes. If the crystals were near it and it wasn't contained, I don't know what would happen. Oh, all-powerful ass. Yeah, when geodes get near my butt, it's just game over. Yeah, it's like Thanos in the stones. Like, it's it's the same. We say sentences on this show that I don't think have ever been spoken by humanity before. <laughs> <laughs> These are facts. I was actually editing one of our episodes last night and I just started laughing and I was like, that is a hell of a sentence that just came out of my mouth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I talked to you about this off air a while ago and we were clothed. It was bizarre. Yes, but quite strange. I had the idea that I want to make a bath bomb that's huge. Like, not just a big bath bomb, but, like, the size of a basketball. Because I can't find anything that large online. And I looked it up, and it's pretty easy to make bath bombs. So if I just use, like, a big mixing bowl for each half, would that work? Would anyone listening be interested in those if we made it merch? But also, anyone listening, are any of you health experts? Is there a reason they don't make them that big? <laughs> That's a lot of baking soda. <laughs> yeah. It is. That makes water basic, right? Instead of acidic. Doesn't that what baking soda does? Like, I would be the ultimate basic bitch. <laughs> well, I wish I could confirm or deny, but I barely passed <laughs> science in high school, so. <laughs> I will say I did order some fun bath bombs, so watch out for upcoming episodes. I'm still trying to get through this giant box of holiday ones. I'm like halfway through at this point so i know i need to mix it up but i have so many of them <laughs> i understand and i mr bubble still would like a sponsorship you know i'm trying to keep on my bubble train but at the same time there are so many cool bath bombs out there from independent sellers on you know all the marketplaces oh and yeah i'm here for that i was peeking at some like handmade ones on like etsy and shit and i would love to find somebody to partner with you know and pay full price i mean i'm not looking for free bath bombs but i think that would be a cool partnership Definitely. The batch that I have coming came from an Etsy seller, so. That's sweet. You got to be careful now. Etsy got a new CEO like a couple years ago, and he's only about profit and doesn't really give a shit anymore about things having to be homemade. So it's just flooded with people drop shipping from other sites and making it look handmade. So be careful now when buying on Etsy, just PSA to everybody out there. <laughs> For sure. But you told me before we got on that you got some feedback on last episode. I think that'd be episode four that people were liking the cards we did in that one. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I, I got some feedback, actually, someone who had the cards in their youth and were like, oh shit, that's awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, tell them to put that comment in our reviews. I, I don't think we have any official reviews yet on any podcasting service. We have ratings, but like written reviews, we don't have anything yet. So anyone out there listening. Write us up. <laughs> Pretend it's middle school and I just did something stupid again. Write me up. No, don't, do not pretend it's middle school and talk to naked 30-year-old men. Do not pretend it's middle school. Austin, that was a bad thing to say. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think you went somewhere that most people wouldn't, but maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I don't want to be right. No, you're making it worse. <laughs> okay, okay. So I was looking at the cards, and the reason they're split up is because I apparently own all the cards they made, and they were split into three different sets. So what we went through last time was a series of 30 or 24 episode cards. But these are cards 1 through 24, which are just like info cards about different parts of the show. Interesting. We okay. have one that's all about the title card, about being invulnerable to the tick, different characters as well. So I think this might actually be more engaging than the last set. These have less interesting pictures on the front than the other ones did, I will say, but they have more relevant info since they're not just about episodes of the cartoon that's not directly related to the show we're talking about. Copy that. I don't think the title card is going to be useful because it's a different show. Do you want to hear about Tick's invulnerability, the essence of the Tick, the faithful chum? Let's get that. Let's, let's hear about Arthur. So... It's a good time to hear about Arthur. I do want to go back to the it essence is. of the tick, but it's a good episode to hear about oh, Arthur. We can start with that. We can start with the essence of the tick. The tick card is just labeled the essence of me, which is <laughs> yes, very tickish. It's perfect. Fickle citizens of the dubious trading card collector's market know this. I am the tick. I am mighty incarnate, strong as all get out, nigh invulnerable, cunning as the elusive panda. <laughs> <laughs> I can leap both vertically and horizontally. Cool. You can... Okay. <laughs> I didn't know you could horizontally leap. That's pretty cool. I'm into that. I'm what men call a superhero, sworn to protect the city, even as all forms of shifty menace gnash teeth and jig macabre outside its walls. Good citizens, dig my love. Evildoers, watch your spiny backs, for the tick walks loudly and carries no stick whatsoever. <laughs> that... <laughs> What a great line. <laughs> He's always got a good one. There's a quote at the end, even though this whole thing was a quote, but it's actually like quoted. You can't be a tick. Ticks are arachnids. They got eight legs. How do you know I don't? <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> yeah. So then we got faithful chum. So yeah, instead of just saying Arthur, it says faithful chum. But it's interesting because on the front of the card, it has a picture of... I mean, this is interesting, but it's not what I was getting at. It's a picture of Arthur. He is strapped to a table with what looks like a large pickle with a face is real close to his, and his tongue is coming out of the pickle, and there's another face with four eyes and another mouth on the end of the tongue. Are you sure you're not looking at a blotter of acid? <laughs> I'll post pictures of these. Like Describing some of these is wilder than the actual picture is, but it's so weird to... I can't even. But on the back, uh, there's a smaller picture of Arthur, but it's the tick in Arthur's costume, which is an odd choice for the trading card. Now, is it the tick in the tick's costume in Arthur's costume? No, it's hard to see because it's really small, but it's very obviously the tick's body instead of Arthur's squeezed into Arthur's suit. Gotcha. But it says, once a mere accountant, 
Arthur has a two-fisted itch that could only be scratched by giving the destiny that awaited him a warm, enthusiastic hug in becoming my superhero sidekick. Oh, so these are like written from the tick's point of view. That makes more sense. So he traded his necktie in for a pair of wings, his three-piece suit for a snug-fitting unitard, and his steady paycheck with benefits for the uncertain, herky-jerky, tightrope dream of crime-fighting glory. And oh, what a ride it's been. Sidekick, friend, confidant, brother in arms. He's got a head full of smart, a heart as big as the great outdoors, and a comfortable couch to sleep on. And that's a moth suit, mister. No bunnies on board. <laughs> <laughs> the quote is, not in the face, not in the face. Don't know what that means. <laughs> Oh, you know what that means. Hey. <laughs> what a strange... Why would they choose that? <sighs> I think that just makes it better that they did. <laughs> the next card, apparently they have a dog. And we just haven't seen it yet, maybe? It's about the four-legged loyalty is what its card's named. And it's a flying dog. But it must be important enough they made it card number six. Because after that, that comes before the whole card for the city. So the dog must be important in the comics and the cartoon. Mm -hmm. But there's a card about the city. The next one is about the headquarters, quote unquote, but it admits halfway through that it's about Arthur's apartment. The next two are about BM and CL, Batman, Mel, and Captain Liberty. So it makes more sense now what we were talking about, how they had to use different characters for this show. And now I think I understand why, because these are very obviously Captain Liberty and Batman well, but they have different names. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So instead of Batman well, it is Die Feldermaus. So maybe he's German instead of Hispanic. Interesting. Die Feldermaus. Flydermaus. While it may be true that Die Flodermaus has the softest hands of any of the city superheroes, his superhero costume is unquestionably the bossest. Yes, he could pick up a check once in a while, but never would he turn his back on his city except perhaps when running away from it. <laughs> to his credit, when trouble erupts, he is almost always around, but usually doesn't stay too long after that. And the quote is, Listen, fish boy, I told your mom a lot of things. So it is very much the same character. Very much so. And then Captain Liberty is American Maid, which is a good pun. It is. M-A-I-D. And it says, She tosses a mean pump and makes a mean crab puff. American Maid can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and then smack you in the face with it till you see red, white, and blue. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> There's some good lines in this. It may take her a while to warm up to you, but she has a heart of gold and an undying love of truth, justice, and the American way. Though she clearly prefers to work solo, I think American Maid used to team up with Die Floutermouse at any rate. She's welcome to join our reindeer games whenever she wants. <laughs> All right. I like how they spent some time writing these. It wasn't just like dumb, here's their height, weight, and history like they could have for this simple card game for kids. It's not even a card game, collectible cards. But they actually spent right. time to write these like the tick was actually describing them. The quote is, you've got arrested development written all over you, die flouter mouse. Again, no idea. <laughs> Alrighty then. So this episode is... Season 1, Episode 8 of 2001's The Tick, named Arthur Interrupted. So pre-show notes, for those of you that don't know, this episode is named after a book and movie, Girl Interrupted. I've never read the book. It's a very good movie. It has Winona Ryder, Angelina Jolie, Whoopi Goldberg, Brittany Murphy. Oh, I've never seen it. That's quite a cast, though. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. The... 
only thing that is common between this episode and the movie, other than the name, is that the main character is placed into a mental institution somewhat against their will. Everything else is totally different. Gotcha. I could tell the name was like a reference to something, but I didn't know what it was. I'm glad we're both on this show because you are very cinematically literate and I am not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're on this show because I like the way you sound naked. See, we both get something out of this. (laughs) Absolutely. And occasionally you get my sexy NPR voice, but you have to be good for that. Lester, have you been a bad boy? This episode opens. We are in CL's apartment and... The Tick and Arthur are there. The Tick is on a motorcycle inside the apartment. Yes. But we know from a previous episode that Captain Liberty doesn't live on the first floor. You have to take an elevator to get up to it. So I have questions. I mean, if it's just a statement piece, it's pretty cool. But I was confused. (laughs) I mean, it's like a freight elevator. She could definitely get the motorcycle in there. Or did the Tick bring it in? No, I think it's CL's, but it is interesting. It is just sitting in the middle of her living room and he's sitting (laughs) on it. So at that point, Arthur asks uh, if she pays for this place herself, and Captain Liberty says that she's not at liberty to say. Captain Liberty is not at liberty. Ironic. I cannot believe that the Tick knows what the concept of irony is. Like, there's, there's no way he knows what irony is. It's mysterious what he knows sometimes. Because it, it seems to not be a lot, but also a lot at the same time. Yeah, there's little glimpses of something. Definitely something. The things that he has managed to obtain are baffling. Right. (laughs) Arthur mentions his mother's been calling to check in. He seems anxious. And the tick's response begins one of a couple recurring themes in this episode. The tick refers to Arthur's birth or mother's womb. (laughs) Yes, I believe I have it written down. Tick refers to Arthur's birth as the emergence from the canal, which is an amazing way to refer to birth, and I may use that in the future. Yes. So this is the first time that the Tick mentions Arthur's birth this episode, but it comes up a few times. In very physical and anatomical ways. Yes, yes. But Arthur hasn't told his mom that he's a superhero, but before... He comes out with that. Arthur, you know, says he hasn't told his mom something. And the tick says, I want to guess. I want to guess. And Arthur says, it's about my lifestyle choice. And tick, the tick says, no fair. I asked for a hint. Tick, you live with Arthur. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. But, I mean, this is very, very quickly Shown that this is a very lightly disguised euphemism? That doesn't seem like the right word, but this is about, you know, coming out. Yes. They use all the same language as was common at the time. A hundred percent. They even talk about gay marriage at one point in the episode. It's very thinly veiled. That's what I'm looking for. This is the first of many moments where I was a little worried that this episode could go bad quick. They've done well so far. Every time they've had the chance, they've done well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> somehow but one thing i love about this is you know when it comes out that arthur hasn't told that to his mother yet the tick just exclaims hot lanta and that's a great exclamation sure sure there's a few things from this show i want to start integrating into my day-to-day dialect and hot lana good one man that grocks my mouth music <laughs> yep yep when arthur tells them that he hasn't told his mother and sister It really strikes a nerve with Captain Liberty. Mm -hmm. 
She says, you're a superhero. Now you can lie or you can try to cover it up, but as soon as she sees you on TV or in the paper, and then Tick cuts her off and says, on a Broadway musical? <laughs> Again, very thinly veiled. <laughs> yes. Captain Liberty finishes. She's going to be that much more devastated. She hints that it was kind of a traumatic experience when she came out to her parents about being a superhero. Yes, she does not want to talk about it. Right. And is it BM that chimes in and says that it's dangerous to be a closeted superhero because supervillains can use that against you? Captain Liberty says that. She calls it the difference between life and death. Which is a good point. Because, I mean, you kind of have to do one or the other. You kind of, like, have to have everyone know who you are, like Iron Man, so people can't take advantage of that. Or, like, no one can know, like, Spider-Man. Like, not even the people you work around frequently. Right. If you're somewhere in the middle, that's a good point that it could be taken advantage of by somebody. Absolutely. I didn't feel like that was the point they were trying to make, but no, actually, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's how I took it. I don't know. <laughs> But it ends with Captain Liberty handing Arthur the phone to call his mom, and we go to title credits. Not before Tick goes on his big... Come out, Arthur. Come out to play. Look at me. I'm out. I'm out there. I'm way out there! <laughs> You're right. <laughs> which Arthur says that's the other problem before taking the phone. Yeah, which I was confused about at first, but then it, it very quickly became evident that he's not only has to introduce his parents or his mom to the idea of him being a superhero, he also unfortunately has to introduce her to the tick, and he is, as he says, very out there. <laughs> yes. We then cut to Arthur's apartment, which comes to another, there's a few, I have this in my notes at the end, there's a few recurring motifs throughout this episode in a very strange way. And one of them is the Tick's relationship with toilets, yep. which is quite contentious. He is trying to unclog the toilet, but while doing so, Arthur is kind of talking to him and debating about, you know, should he be wearing his full getup, his full costume when meeting it? Would that be too much? The Tick only has eyes for the toilet. Also... Did you notice how tall their toilet is? I did. It was on like a pedestal. <laughs> it's like on top of like a foot tall box. Like you would have to be on your tippy toes to shit on this thing. <laughs> yes, I did notice that. It was very hard not to <laughs> it's notice. It's very green. <laughs> there wasn't a whole bunch going on here other than, you know, them going back and forth. Some of what Arthur says, the Tick's responding to the toilet, but it kind of works in conversation. Yeah. Tick's plunging the toilet with a comically large plunger. Oh, I didn't even notice the size of this plunger. The handle was very long. Oh, it's got some girth on it. And Arthur's getting ready, the toilet's growling. The Tick is saying things like, you know, don't take that tone with me, mister. And Arthur's asking for feedback. He's like, should I go in the full costume? Like, is that too much? And the Tick talking to the toilet is like, talk is cheap, potty mouth. That's the one quote I had written down from this scene. That catches Arthur off guard, and he's like, talking to the toilet. Keep on running, pal. That's fine by me. You can run, but you cannot hide. Arthur asks Tick if they can not worry about the toilet for a moment because, you know, he's trying to get ready and it's a big deal. Tick agrees, but he makes it known that it's a situation not to be taken lightly, this toilet, and that the bathtub is also an <laughs> That's alloy. That's right. He's got, a, what does he call it? Not a ceramic alloy, but a uh, porcelain. An ally in this porcelain war against us. <laughs> Yeah, they're at war with the porcelain enemy is the note I had written down. I know that's not the quote, but my half-awake self thought that was fun. So this scene, basically Arthur's on his way out the door, and 
asks Tick not to try to fix anything else, and the Tick tells him, What's past the point of fixing, my friend? Negotiations are at an impasse. This has become a battle of wills, a battle I intend on winning. After lunch, of course. So they leave, and we cut to the next scene, which begins with B, Arthur's mom, and Dot, Arthur's sister, entering the Lonely Panda, which is, which is their diner bar that I know. usually at. That, was it always a Chinese restaurant? That's what I had written down. I was like, wait a second. Wait. Hold the phone. It's, it makes everything so confusing. It doesn't make any sense. Like, even one of the later scenes in this episode, I'm like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> It has me rethinking. This is a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> has it always had these Chinese decorations and we just haven't noticed? So I think I've noticed the decorations before, but I don't think I remember ever seeing the sign. No, I think this is the first time we see the name of it and that it's open 24 hours. <laughs> I don't understand this bizarre diner Chinese wait, 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 wait. restaurant bar There's thing. a card for the diner. Does it say anything? Go. I should have had these the whole time. I didn't even look through. I thought they were all episode cards. Like an index. The diner. Here it is. Sometimes that hollow feeling in the pit of the superhero's belly isn't just the haunting need to protect the innocent and punish the wicked. Sometimes it's just plain old hunger. And since even the mightiest heroes can't live on good deeds and adventures along, or at least not for very long, sometimes Arthur and I like to kick back in a booth at the diner, where the coffee's almost hot, the BLTs are never soggy, and the company of men and women who fight crime in colorful skin-tight outfits is guaranteed. It doesn't mention it being a Chinese 24-hour diner anyway. <laughs> or that it's named the Lonely Panda. Yeah. Yep. This is... All right. All right. Cool. This is a bizarre Chinese diner It just keeps getting cooler. Thing, and it's the coolest spot ever to exist, and I want one. I know. All right, moving on. The sister and mom are walking in, and they're kind of iffy. The mom's like, are you sure this is the right place? And the sister's like, yeah, I called earlier to make sure. They sit down at the booth. No one else is in the diner yet. They're kind of, you can tell they're a little uncomfortable just because it does look quite run down from the outside. And uh, an old superhero walks up, walks in, I should say, and the daughter leans forward and like whispers to the mom. He's like, "Is it that kind of place?" So again, very thinly no, veiled. No, other way around. The mom says it to the daughter. Oh, this would be the equivalent of a gay bar that you're coming out to your parents at, which would be a wild choice, but it's a choice. <laughs> I mean, it's a strong one. I support it. <laughs> It's a great choice. <laughs> it makes you seem normal. Again. Not when you're dating the tick. That would be like if you came out as gay and your fiance was Liberace. Like. <laughs> so outside the restaurant, Tick and Arthur arrive, and Arthur spends a little bit coaching the tick for when he introduces them, but enters alone initially. B and Dot see Arthur's costume and react. Dot, disgusted, says, oh my god. And B says, oh, well, look at your little outfit. <laughs> yeah, she's in denial for sure. Fantastic response from the mother here. So <laughs> Tick's watching through the windows this whole time. Yeah, he's creeping. He's creeping around, spying. Yeah, creeping super hard. So Dot's grilling Arthur about his life choice, as they call it, while Arthur, you know, pretty reasonably explains himself in response. But while Tick is watching, Batman well approaches him and asks the Tick what's going on, but 
Dick didn't hear him, so he's startled and smashes his head through the window nearest Arthur's mom. <laughs> I wish they would have done more with this, like had his head actually go through the window and like say something stupid. Right, but he doesn't. He backs away quickly and they kind of walk around to the front talking and I think his mom and someone else inside gasp when it happens. Yeah, they walk, uh, or the tick walks in at least, and the mom thinks that Arthur and the tick are fiancés and not that they're superhero partners, which is another wild choice on the mother. But at the same time, good for you. Which, yes, and also for context, the mother and daughter were assuming he was calling them to announce he was engaged. Right, not at the beginning this. when they first walked into the diner, the mom who had swore up and down that this was an announcement of engagement. And then the tick introduces himself, and he is shaking hands with the mother first and says, what a pleasure it is to shake hands with the womb that spilled Arthur out into the world. Boom, and second time. <laughs> and then he reaches over and shakes hand with Dot and says, and let's not forget about the womb mate, which is a great, great way to refer to a sibling. <laughs> also, are they twins? I think they are twins, yes. I think they did establish that. Oh, it gotcha. was very quick, though, if they did. Three times so far, he has <laughs> talked about Arthur and birth in the womb. Maybe the Tick's learning about the reproductive system right now, so he's trying to be accurate. He's starting to understand. Yeah. He has pieces of it, but not quite enough. No, he knows the science of it, but not yet how to speak about it socially. Do you think he knows the science of it? <laughs> Completely? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he can, based on some of his comments. Uh... <laughs> He also says to Dot, Arthur's words do no justice to your nervous white-knuckled beauty. And that's just a great follow-up to the womb mate. Yeah, they're talking. It's not going well. The tick is being very the tick. Arthur's trying to get him to change the subject as he's talking about some of the things Arthur has told the tick about his family and confidant. Com Man, my words are not working tonight. Fuck them words. But... <laughs> So the tick decides to change subjects by talking about the little umbrella that is on the table. Also, did you see what their bowl is filled with in the middle of the table? There's no other food on the table except for one bowl in the very center. It's just a bowl of fortune cookies, not in wrappers. <laughs> oh, no, nope, I totally did not catch that. But it's going terribly. The conversation is going off the rails. Of course it is. Dot is getting more and more angry, but every time they cut to the mom, it seems like she's having a great time. But... They go to leave, they kind of storm off, but as they're walking out, that's when Batman well walks in the door, and he's kind of checking Dot out. He is looking her up and down, and she just looks at him disgusted and walks off. CL's with him, and they sit down at the table, and CL's trying to console Arthur about the rough situation that just happened and how terrible that coming out went. And it did go yeah. pretty badly, uh, because when Dot forced Tick to get out of the booth so they could leave, uh, and they went to storm off. She was getting in Arthur's face saying that he can't keep running away from his problems. And the Tick says, well, that's the best part. He doesn't have to run. He can fly and hits the button to open his wings. And Arthur just looks <laughs> devastated. He wants to Making his announcement as a superhero even that much more extra in a bad way to, in their eyes. Yeah. But Batman Will, as CL is just trying to console Arthur, is just only got thoughts for Dot. He is just thinking about her. And Arthur says that, hey, she's got a husband and kids. And Batman Will is like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, yes. I thought I knew that scent. A soccer mommy. Oh. 
It's my only weakness. So we have another fact about Batman Well that his true weakness, his kryptonite, is soccer mommies. Yep. That is a piece of information that is now in my brain. We know it now. <laughs> we'll see how long it stays. I hope not forever. We are on this planet for a finite number of minutes, Austin, and our brain can hold a finite amount of information. If that stays there permanently, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> You're going to be an old man telling your grandkids, Batman Well can sniff a soccer mommy, his only weakness. Grandpa, you haven't taken your meds yet. Do you have my pills? <laughs> Get out of the bathtub. We're all your family and we're here. Why are you talking into that microphone? It's plugged into the toilet. <laughs> the toilet's talking. Just like the tip was. Grandpa, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Getting old is going to be fun. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the scene ends there. And speaking of, we go to Arthur's apartment where a tick is talking to the toilet. He is resorting to chemical warfare and dumps a bottle of Flusho tablets into the toilet. <laughs> he says, I have no choice but to resort to chemical warfare. Arthur yells at the tick to stop messing with the toilet. Tick responds a bit irritable. And Arthur, he seems really on edge. He's like, toilets don't talk. They don't. Well, I mean, I kind of get it. Like, I mean, he's just had like a pretty rough experience just all around that's not the reaction you would want from family and so he's already you know that that sucks and then the tick his best friend assumedly is just worried about a clogged toilet like i would be pissed too <laughs> i get it but the tick does get a good line that that's a maybe in my book chum arthur gets a phone call and you can tell it's his sister she's asking to meet him somewhere i mean you don't hear her voice but he's like oh you're still in the city. What hotel are you at? Okay, I'll be right there. And the, the tick has a great line in the back of this when he's still working on the toilet while this phone call is going on. He says, it's not so talky with a belly full of hell, are we? <laughs> and I had that start as one of my favorite lines. Yes, fantastic line. There's one I think is going to win, but that's up there. Arthur then, you know, tells the tick, hey, I got to leave, but it's just just me. And the tick's like, right, okay, well, I'll go with you. <laughs> just straight-faced immediately, and Arthur's like, no, I really have to go. And Tick's like, oh, yeah, I know, by yourself, and just keeps following him. And Arthur finally gets through to him, no, you really have to stay here. I'm going to go do this by myself. And the Tick stays. Yeah, Arthur's pretty frustrated by the end of it. You know, he just wants to leave, and Tick won't stop following him to the point that he says, I don't have time for this. Just stay here and talk to the toilet. Talk to whatever. And the Tick's, like, super disappointed, and, like, as Arthur's closing the door, says, we're a duo. Yeah, that is something he had said earlier when they had talked to the parents that they were a crime-fighting duo. And so I think this is a, like a return right. to that. That like, hey, I introduced us as a duo and now you're going off to do something by yourself, which is absurd to the tick. We then cut to what looks like it's a, it's a returning place. At least I think so. What was the name of it in the second episode? The Hotel of the City? Um, it was... The City Hotel? It had a name. It had an actual name. No, it wasn't the one that was, like, north or south. This looked like the one that was just, like, the first time we saw a hotel. It was just something real simple, like the Hotel of the City. Oh, you mean episode one, then? Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is the same place from, like, the picture from the outside. Gotcha. We see a door to a hotel room, and Dot lets Arthur in, and all the lights in the hotel room are off. 
Arthur comes in. He's like, what's going on, Dot? And then you hear the mom's voice. And then Arthur's like, oh, mom, is that you here? Why are the lights off? And then the lights come on. And the creepiest looking man I think I've ever seen walks out from the bathroom. But my question is, why were the lights off? If your thing was to surprise him with this creepy man, couldn't he have just been in the bathroom with the door closed? Why did you have to have the lights off? <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so this man emerges and identifies himself as Francis Peacock. He says, your mother and sister called me because of their deep concern for you. And Arthur's like, you're giving me an intervention. He explains, I'm a licensed graduate student of psychology and I have years of experience in dealing with this addiction. Oh, it starts out innocently enough. You pick up a few magazines to get your jollies. But soon, you've got a monkey on your back. You find yourself hanging out at costume shops. Maybe you try on a cape. Maybe a mask. Maybe even gauntlets. And the next thing you know, you're buying your first pair of tights. Oh. And you are on that long, slippery slope to moral oblivion. Yeah, and this line had me even more concern. I was like, okay, so first thing we're coming out with this episode is about coming out as being gay. That could be done badly. And now we're getting into addiction. Fun. <laughs> Luckily, that's the only time they mention it like that. My red flags were going up. I'm like, oh God, this could go even worse than it already has the, you know, potential. Doesn't with that point. So good on them. I suppose. Uh, yes. So this strange, strange man, Francis Peacock, is David Foley. He plays Pat Hine and Dr. Ken, uh, Principal McIntyre, and It's Always Sunny. He was also in The Kids in the Hall. He's in a lot of TV. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that's just like plays a bit part in a lot of things. Yes, he does. Then Arthur is like, this is stupid. What the fuck? What the fuck? And he's mad, obviously. This is an absurd thing to do to trap him in an intervention with a crazy creepy psychologist so he goes to leave and francis pulls a gun on him yes immediately yells code green and shoots him with a comical looking dart but i was like it's just a gun it's not like a dart gun like you would you know if this was comic booky it's just he pulls out like a pistol <laughs> like yeah it was not fuck? immediately obvious it was a tranquilizer gun <laughs> Arthur passes or slowly begins to pass out. His mom and sister, or his mom at least, comes over to like console him. She's looking worried. Uh, and then Francis is just, you know, talking to the mom and sister, like, hey, no, I know this is scary, but this is the best thing you could do for him. Trust me. And then calls two creepy henchmen to carry him out to a van. Rex and Mohammed. Yes, those were her names. So then back in Arthur's apartment, Tick is sitting on the edge of the bathtub talking to the toilet or himself, saying, where did Arthur go? Uh, the toilet does gurgle in response, and Tick says, but Arthur said, Arthur said that plumbing doesn't talk. The toilet then gurgles some more. He says, I don't know, and yells Arthur. The toilet gurgles again. The Tick tells it to shut up. It gurgles even louder. The Tick yells shut up, runs out of the bathroom to an open window where he calls out for Arthur some more. Then we go to the diner booth of this, again, apparently Chinese restaurant. I did notice, though, when the tick's yelling out the window that the fridge door has just been wide open during this entire time. So I'm assuming the fridge has been open for 
As long as Arthur has been gone. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> Who left the fridge open? Yeah, we're back at the diner, and the first thing we see is the tick eating a breakfast plate, and the food on the plate is shaped like Arthur's face. The tick's talking about his memories of Arthur eating at the diner. Yes. It doesn't look appetizing. No. Not just because it looks like a man's face, but it's like melon on top of a pancake with eggs and then bacon for the eyes. No, bacon for the ears. Bacon for the ears. I was trying to pull it from memory, but yeah, it, it doesn't yeah, look it's good. Sunny side <laughs> eggs for the eyes, strawberry nose, bacon ears, melon sliced smile on a pancake. I think it would have been edible looking if it wasn't for the melon. The melon's a weird choice. It is a weird choice. But Tick's talking about Arthur as if he's been gone for years or decades, saying he used to sit right here in this booth and he'd order the number three. I remember that much. As he's saying this, he's picking up his plate and holding it, looking lovingly at this breakfast face. Breakfast, if you will. Nice. Captain Liberty and Batman well kind of exchange glances while this is happening. And the tick talks aggressively then to the pancake Arthur directly. Yeah, BM and CL look very concerned, and Captain Liberty leans over to Batman well and says, you know, if he snaps, we are going to have a hell of a time on our hands, which is a really good point if the Tick were to actually, actually lose it. I mean, from what we've seen, he is pretty much invincible and has infinite strength. That's true. So if he were to snap, they would have a hell of a time on their hands. She's not wrong. That's true. Batman well says something about how when a woman leaves him, he doesn't sulk over his breakfast or something like that. But uh, when he says that, the tick stands up with his plate and walks over to the booth next to theirs where an old man's sitting and shows him the plate and asks if he's seen this person. Have you seen this man? <laughs> yeah, that's him moving on to other people. Which is a fantastic way of taking it literally. I wouldn't have thought of that to like, oh, him moving on to other people is moving on to ask other people about Arthur. Show him your breakfast. Yes, your weird, what did you call it? Breakfast. Breakfast. I was going to say faced fast, but that wasn't right. <laughs> Show me your face fast. <laughs> yep. Face fast. It's hard to say. Breakfast isn't easy to say either. Breakfast is is much simpler to say. I don't know why my mind went <laughs> face fist, but face fist is as it is. It's for the rest of us. I celebrate Festivus. Face fist. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> face fist for the rest of us. Oh, good God! <laughs> so we're at the mental institution. <laughs> Which is like, could this episode try to stick its foot in any bigger shits? <laughs> <laughs> now we've got depictions of mental health. Like, come on. They just were asking for it with this episode. I'm so glad it wasn't a complete train wreck. It could have been worse. It could have been so bad, Austin. It wasn't that bad. It could have been worse. Yeah, we see Francis, which at this scene, it made me realize that he looks like if Oliver Tree was a CPA. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you're not. But yeah, there's a very, like, one flew of the cuckoo's nest kind of deal. Everybody's in white, pretty much straight jackets, but not completely, except for Francis. He's at a chalkboard. I couldn't really make out what it said other than you're not a superhero and then something underneath it. Right, yeah, it wasn't anything much. I don't remember what it said. 
Yeah, he's basically just giving a speech to all of them. He kind of calls out... He does call out Arthur. Yes. No, he puts Arthur straight on blast. Literally, this whole scene starts with Francis Peacock introducing Arthur to the class by saying... Arthur, like many of you, suffers from delusions of grandeur. He has an exaggerated sense of responsibility, a manic and irrational desire to save the world, which of course comes into conflict with the sad little reality of Arthur's insignificance. Jesus. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> he then asks Arthur why he chose his own name as his superhero identity. Which is a good point. Francis has said some awful, terrible things, but that's a good question. Arthur passively says that he just hasn't figured out a good one yet, and then defensively says that he's working on it. Right. Not much else happens. I think that's the end of the scene. We then cut to late at night at the hospital, and Arthur is creeping into Francis's office, which is a very fancy office. Did you notice it had stained glass windows? I did. Of different depictions of scenes. I couldn't make out what it was trying to depict, but I was like, what kind of mental hospital is this and where that's your office? But I mean, whatever. I hope they were superhero <laughs> scenes. I should go back at some point and watch this. Also, tangent, another one. I watched this the second time on YouTube. This is my first time watching any of these episodes on YouTube. YouTube has 1080p versions of these and watching this show in 1080p is wild. I couldn't put my finger on why, but everything looks super weird. Interesting. Yeah, try watching, I mean, we only have one episode left. This is the penultimate episode. I know. But try watching one on YouTube on the 1080p versions. Uh, it's weird. So Arthur's sneaking into the office. He sneaks around the desk and he gets to the phone that's on the desk, picks it up and tries dialing a number. We cut to Arthur's apartment. The tick is wrecked the apartment and the call is not going through. Come back to Arthur, he's frustrated. Dials another number, and we get to Captain Liberty and Batman Will in one of their apartments. Captain Liberty's. It's Captain Liberty's. Yeah, do, do we ever have we ever seen Batman Will's apartment other than the late night shot of him in his robe? No, I think that's the only one. Captain Liberty and Batman Will are on their way to get on the elevator to save Arthur when the tick arrives. No. What? No, you skipped a whole scene where they're on the phone and it's with the fondue. Oh. Everything smells like fondue. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Will and Captain Liberty are making fondue, or at least Batman Will has made fondue. Captain Liberty's like, why the fuck did you make fondue? Batman Will apparently loves fondue. Yes. What does he say that uh, it is the food of lovers, except for those who are lactose intolerant? Which is a good point because fondue is usually either cheese or chocolate. Either way, you can't have it if you're lactose intolerant. It's very sad. It is, but I can also say, I don't know if I've ever, I've never gone to get fondue. I mean, I've done the thing with like a chocolate fountain is the closest I've ever done to any kind of fondue. I've had fondue. It's lovely. I have a fondue pot actually, but I have gone for fondue as well. What do you make in your fondue pot? Cheese and chocolate. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It, the, the whole I'm with I'm with Captain Liberty. Fondue's always confused me. Fine, but Manuel will eat your fondue and his fondue. No fondue for you. You get no fondue. You fondue, no can do. It's just something you dip other things in. That's not a meal. It can be if you dip enough. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Just give me cheese-covered food or chocolate-covered food. It's the same thing. 
But it's on a stick. No. It's didn't. fun. It's like camping, but on a miniature scale. But then why do I have to spend like 50 bucks? Fondue restaurants are so expensive for no reason. Because they're delicious. They're making you do the work. I don't get it. Captain Liberty picks up the phone. She's talking to Arthur. She is immediately on Arthur's side. She doesn't really like question really anything. She's like, oh my God, this is horrible. We have to come do something. Arthur does actually have a pretty good line here, even though he's sort of in the wrong. For whatever reason, when Captain Liberty answers the phone and he's told her that he's in the insane asylum, he then starts blaming her for him being locked up there because she pushed him to come out to his mother. Yeah, good point, but probably wrong time to bring it up. That was exactly my note. Like, fine, have this conversation, but wrong fucking time. Just get out of the fucking <laughs> asylum, dude. Regardless, he says it, and she's like, wasn't it freeing? And he says, freeing? Freeing? I have been locked away in a loony bin with keys, big keys, that go jingle jingle on large bald men's belts. That's not free. <laughs> Yeah, it reminded me of that, like, quote that used to go around Vine and then TikTok is like, crazy, I was crazy once in a padded room or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. But it gave me those kind of vibes when he says that. We see Francis coming towards the office. Arthur hangs up the phone. He tries to hide even more so behind the desk, and we see Francis take off his pants. Yep. He's got shiny green tidy whities on or tidy shiny greenies. <laughs> And he goes to, not the evidence closet, what is it, like the... Inmate personal effects. Right. And starts putting on some superhero costumes. Yes. While inside the closet, uh, Arthur hears him saying, who's super now? I think it's you, Francis. Arthur then tries to sneak out while he's in there, but is immediately greeted by a costumed Francis Peacock emerging from the closet. <laughs> The costume he's wearing is tall green boots, short green spandex boy shorts, a gray muscle shirt, a short green and gold cape, and green Hulk hands. Yeah, but they're like robotic Hulk hands. They've got like metal appendages coming off of them. The hands are weird, but everything else is very much... It's very Hulkish. When we have... It has been made clear that the Hulk exists in this universe. Yes, it's very Hulkish, but it's very sidekickish. It's very portrayal of gay in media at the time. I didn't get that vibe at all. I, I did. Okay. I mean, that's what, the, I mean, like I said, that's very obviously what this episode's about is, you know, a euphemism for being gay, but I didn't get that from the costume. I feel like it was definitely, I mean, especially the short cape and the tall boots is what got me. It felt more sidekicky. That part makes sense, I guess. Like, it reminded me of, I was trying to remember his fucking name and I can't remember it right now, but from... Oh, like the Burning Man? Yeah. Uh-huh. Elder Flame? That's not it. Blaze and... Tinder Match? I don't something, know. Something, something... Fiery Blaze and... Burnt Toast. <laughs> Burnt Toast. <laughs> you know who we're talking about. If you made it this far into listening to the podcast, you know who we're talking about. What are you talking about? Arthur, you know, catches him in this outfit, and then we see Arthur getting put into a padded room that only has a toilet with Francis looking through the window, basically telling him that these hallucinations you're having are the reason why you're getting put away like this. So he's insinuating that he's hallucinating so no one believes that Arthur saw him wearing the superhero Correct. Costumes. Friendly fire. Friendly fire. Burnt toast. So then we go to Captain Liberty's apartment. 
Batman Well and Captain Liberty are on their way to get on the elevator and save Arthur when the tick arrives, and he's asking where Arthur is. Yeah, he says, where is Arthur? Has he gone back to the womb? Do they have phones in the womb? He says, why couldn't he have called? I've returned to the womb, tick. I'll call when I get bored. He's all over B's womb and Arthur's potential return there. Yeah, it's bizarre. Batman Will and Captain Liberty then explain where Arthur is and why he's there. Captain Liberty says the law enforcement can't do anything about it because it's out of their jurisdiction, and uh, the tick responds. Well, Captain Liberty, that's just where our jurisdiction begins. Which, with this episode being right after the last one, which was all about the police jurisdiction and superhero jurisdiction, interesting line, but I mean, this, this is going to be something I'm talking about when we talk about the end of this episode, but the episode order is up for question on what the correct episode order is. And I think where the DVD puts this makes more sense than what it was actually released as and where we are doing it. Interesting. Okay. Like I said, we'll talk about that at the end. CL and BM are basically trying to explain to the tick, you know, where Arthur is. They then leave to save him. We cut to the asylum and Arthur's womb and womb mate walk in. The receptionist says that visiting hours are over, but then CLBM and the tick walk in behind the mom and sister to show that they're all basically teaming up, which I thought was cool. That, that's a cool thing to show that, you know, they've come around to the idea that this is, this is crazy, having Arthur locked up for this and is teaming up with the superheroes. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Captain Liberty commands Tick and Batman well to that they're going to split up and regroup in five. The nurse at the front desk hits the alarm. Captain Liberty goes right, Tick goes left. Batman well stays to protect the women. Right, and I noticed here that he also has a leather cod piece with hand stitching holding it up. Interesting choice, but it makes sense. Absolutely. Captain Liberty then goes to beat up orderlies. Yes, she beats up one on her way through the hallway into the room that the rest of the scene ultimately takes place in. And then she has a lengthier fight with the second orderly. It sounds like the tall, bald man that Arthur was describing. With the help of some of the other patients, these, uh, I'm really not sure at this point if they are delusional, not superheroes or superheroes held against their will. But this is one of the first fights that's really shown, if not the yeah. first fight that's like, really shown. I hadn't thought about it, but you are 100% correct. We haven't really seen much actual fighting. The fight is over. They basically free everybody, but then they have to go get Arthur. We see Arthur in his padded room. The toilet starts bubbling, and he hears the tick's voice, so he thinks, you know, the, the tick is talking from the toilet. But then the tick is at the door, pulls the door off the hinges, and comes to free Arthur. Arthur's still in his straight jacket and the tick says good lord they've driven you back to the cocoon yep just great i liked that line <laughs> the tick takes the straight jacket off of arthur he calls it a fancy coat yeah which you know in in the way it is i liked it too because arthur was like how did you find me and he's like i just walked around and yelled a lot <laughs> which i am sure is what actually happened i mean it is he was yelling arthur and then arthur yelled back and it was tick <laughs> Arthur tells the Tick that, you know, he's ready to leave, but there's one last thing he has to do. And we then see Francis in his office. Well, actually, Tick has a really good a really good moment on this scene. Oh, I didn't write it down. I'm sure I caught it. But. Tick tells Arthur that his mom and sister are waiting outside. 
and Arthur's upset. Like he's dramatically upset. He doesn't want anything to do with them. He says they have no respect and no trust and that a week doesn't make a difference when the tick says that the B and Dot of this week are much nicer than the B and Dot of last week. <laughs> Though he makes the point that at least the mother is good now. The, the sister is, she's okay. She's fine. But Tick has a great response to Arthur here because he's going off. He's like, I want nothing to do with them. They locked me up in here. And the Tick says, they don't have a lot of things. Not everyone can be as great as us, Arthur, but we just have to accept them for what they are. And like... Honestly, that's great advice. Yeah. I kind of love that. And I honestly gave very similar advice to a friend like within the last two weeks. I was, like, it was very interesting that this came up. It kind of redeemed the fear I had for the episode that it was it was a good way of, you know, a friend saying that to a friend going through what Arthur is. It wasn't some weird tickism or anything. It was just him giving good advice. It was. And it it is it is important to understand that, especially, you know, in this circumstance when you aren't being understood, that not everyone is able to understand you that way, but you have to meet them where they are if you want to maintain a relationship, mm -hmm. and hopefully they'll meet you far enough. Right, right. So then, as you said, Arthur runs off to go to Peacock's office, uh, leaving Tick alone in Arthur's cell for a moment, though. <laughs> where the toilet gurgles and the tick just looks down at it and says, how you doing? But we then cut to Arthur and the tick barging into Francis's office and the tick has the toilet with him. He ripped it out of the ground. <laughs> yes, yes. The tick and Arthur do run in together despite Arthur running off first. And yes, the tick is holding the toilet by his side under his arm, but they do burst in on Peacock dancing around the room and singing along to the theme from the greatest American hero in Arthur's Mothman costume. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Or I suppose in Arthur's Arthur costume. Yeah. Very strange, and their reaction is accordingly. <laughs> yes, the reaction's even stranger when they burst in on him. Francis covers his crotch with one of the wings from Arthur's costume. Which is completely see-through. Yes, and the tick says that is icky to infinity. Which, I mean, like, on a psychological level, I think is what they were trying to say, but very strange thing for the tick to say, because that's not the kind of thing we would expect the tick to grasp. And also, I don't know if that's what they were going for or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> Weird response. We then cut to Captain Liberty's apartment, where Captain Liberty, Tick, Arthur, Batman, well, Arthur's mom and Arthur's sister are all present. Captain Liberty announces that the authorities have shut down Francis Peacock's superhero deprogramming center. And Batman, well, says, poetic justice. Arthur asks, is there any other kind? And the tick responds, Puppet show, Justice. Not just responds with that, but like immediately. It wasn't like he thought about it. It was <laughs> poetic justice. Is there any other kind? Puppet show, Justice. He just says it real quick. Like it's something he's experienced before. Puppet show, Justice. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was such a good line. 
It was just because, like, I expected him to, you know, say puppet show justice and then try to think of another kind, like puppy dog justice, like just, you know, start naming off. But no, he's dead serious. That's the other kind of justice. <laughs> that is the kind. Dot then apologizes to Arthur and his mom does too. You know, they're saying, like, we should never have put you in there. We're very sorry. That was the wrong thing to do. It's a good apology as far as those go. I mean, it's not perfect. No, it's not. It's it's not an apology. It's They admitted they were wrong. They didn't really I apologize. Mean, it's close. It's adjacent to an apology. They tried. I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> they didn't try. We don't know how far they would have really gotten because the tick intervenes in this. He does. After Dot admits to Arthur that she made the mistake, the tick grabs both B and Dot by the head and pushes their heads into Arthur's shoulders, basically, and says... Oh, come on, everyone. Sure, you sold Arthur down a crazy river, but let's use that spilt milk to put out this burning bridge. See? See how easy? We're one big happy family at last. And this whole time, just pushing their heads into Arthur. Mm -hmm. Arthur then attempts to reinforce to his mother and sister that superheroes aren't freaks while they're currently experiencing this. And Arthur finally has the tick let go of them. He makes his mom promise never to commit him again. Which is a good promise to make, to not commit somebody. Yep, don't, don't do this again, this sucked. Dot then asks what to tell her son when he asks about his uncle and his big blue friend. Which I feel like is a very 90s thing. Like, I feel like you would have heard that same question asked when there was, like, the gay episode of a family evening sitcom or something. Yeah, sure. I know what you mean. I don't know. I just felt like when she asked that, I, I was like, I've heard, you know, that's that's a question. Like, what will I tell your niece and nephew? Like, I mean, she's not, like, saying it in a mean way. She's like, what will I tell them? She's, like, un genuinely asking, what do I tell them? Right. So the tick responds to her. Dottie, you tell that boy of yours that his uncle and his blue friend are a crime-fighting duo, a two-headed cobra of goodness slithering down the path of righteousness, leaving its venom deep in the hindquarters of evil. <laughs> Arthur says, uh, why don't I just call him? Yep. And they all eat fondue, probably to Batman Wells' great joy. I don't know if I would eat Batman Wells' fondue. Do you fondue? I do too, I fondue you. Well, don't make it weird. I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Can't we all just enjoy a good puppet show and some fun, too? That sounds even weirder. Who's up for puppets? Me! I'm up for puppets! You're weird. Get out of my bathtub. No. <laughs> I will not. But that's the end of the episode. It cuts to credits, and we're back to nothing at credits. Yep, just credits. Just credits. Did you enjoy this episode, Austin? I did enjoy this episode. I don't know if I would say it's... I don't know, top three or anything like that, but I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was good. Uh, it felt less like the last episode, more like some of the episodes previous. They tackled some subject matter that could become quite questionable the way they handled it these days, but mm -hmm. they did a pretty tasteful job throughout. Yeah, that was my first note, was this episode could have been bad. Like... <laughs> The kind of episode where we would have to skip doing a podcast about it. But like you said, they handled it as well as a show of the time could have. And I honestly love this episode. It's funny you said it wouldn't be in your top three because I literally wrote down this would be my top three so far. I That's thought funny. it was it was a great mix of amazing lines, concise story for once, which I know that was my biggest complaint of the last episode. 
It was the story felt right. The timing was all funky, but this was it felt timed well. It didn't have crazy cuts. Uh, there was actual character growth, which some of the episodes don't have. Uh, but all around, I I love this episode. Just it was great. I mean, there was like the the issues we talked about, but at the same time, like even you know, like you said, it wasn't a true apology. Like you could feel it. Like that's what they were going for. It was a half measure, but at least it was some kind of growth with the family. Right. In one week's time. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, there is, we're not 100% sure what the proper episode order is because we are watching it in the order it was released. Wikipedia lists it as the correct order, but I bought the official the Tick DVD release and the episode order is completely different. While this is episode eight in the release schedule, on the DVD and on YouTube, this is listed as episode three. And I think it actually makes a lot more sense there. Because one of our complaints at the beginning was we didn't get much character growth then. And this very much would have explained a lot about, one, the diner. Arthur's relationship with like his family. You know, Tick seeing Arthur as such a close friend. It doesn't make sense that this is episodes right after the last episode. Where that whole point was that... the the superheroes have to fall within the law of the city. But this episode makes the explicit point that what they deal with is outside of the law. So that doesn't make any sense. And plus, the first few episodes, each one seemed to deal with a real-life topic. Like, episode two was all about dealing and managing with death. Like, it seemed like they had each episode had a purpose or a message. That's what I went for. It had a message. And this episode very much does. It, it, you know, a person going through coming out to their family. And it, I think it, with that vibe of, you know, having that kind of overall topic be the purpose of the episode, it makes also makes more sense to place three instead of eight. Thoughts? I, I agree. I totally agree. I think it does make more sense there. It's also weird that this is even a debate. Yeah, it is. And I can probably what it was is they they had it recorded and they were nervous about releasing this episode too early in the season. And they released it in the order they actually wanted it on the DVD. But officially, you know, this is how it came out. But that's yeah, it's speculation. Really bizarre. It's also very in line with the show in a weird meta way. <laughs> Right. The order just Let's just mix them up for funsies. <laughs> right. <laughs> so did you also find a favorite line? We'll come up with a term for that. I think at one point we called it like a bubbly sudsy or something. We called it a sloppy something. Yes, we did. <laughs> I, just, I can't remember. Sorry, my brain. My baby was up at 4.30 this morning, and so I was as well. I got some nap in between then, but my brain's working on what little caffeine remains in my system, and medication. Fair enough. I think my favorite line is... Fair enough, but we mustn't let our guard down, Chum. We've got a devilishly clever commode here. He's already taken the bathtub as an ally in his porcelain war against us. Ah, the bathtub is backed up too now? <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic one. I think the whole thing about the bathtub just makes that next level in the best way possible. I did want to mention before I get to mine, it doesn't have anything to do with the line, but I had it in my like ending notes. The weird obsessions in this episode was very strange. We have not seen that in other episodes where it just was so obsessed with wombs, toilets, and fondue. And none of them had anything to do with anything with the story. It was just talked about the whole time. Very strange. I just wanted 
Just wanted to mention that as I'm looking at my notes and that was the last note I had. But my favorite line we already said, it was the poetic justice, is there any other kind? Puppet show justice. And I can't do the line credit, but I'm sure whoever edits this will replace me reading it with the actual line reading from the show because it I I laughed so hard both times watching the episode. It just amazing. It's all in the delivery that Patrick Warburton gives is chef's kiss. Poetic justice. Is there any other kind? Puppet show justice. Fantastic. Before we end, this is a new thing I thought would be cool to start doing near the end of the show because I don't. I think we've talked about it a little bit in previous episodes, but one reason we started this show was because me and you were both in pretty dark places and it would be a good way to, you know, stay in contact with a friend and also share some positivity on the world because I know things are shitty for a lot of us out here right now. So I thought it'd be cool if we, you know, started just mentioning cool things we've been up to and just, you know, describe how we're doing, like talk about maybe a book or show or movie or video game that, you know, is getting us through these tough times. So what have you been up to? Well, lately. Or music, just something that you've been enjoying you think our listeners would like. Lately, I've been catching up on some shows that I have meant to watch for a while, but, you know, uh, depression and life and other things got in the way. I've been making a point most nights to, like, kind of stick on a show and, and keep watching through some stuff that I felt like I've sort of missed. So recently I've watched uh, Secession, Atlanta, Fargo, and I'm currently watching The Bear. All of them have been great. I would highly recommend them to anyone. Succession is so good. So oh my good. god. That's the only one out of the four I've watched. I, I mean to watch the others, um, especially Atlanta, but man, Succession is so good. Very, very good. There you go. Two people right there. If you haven't already heard it half a million times, if you haven't watched it yet, Succession's great. Because it's a com you don't realize it until maybe season two or three. It's a comedy. It's not a serious show. It's a, it's a, it's a serious drama that's secretly a comedy the entire time. Yeah, Kieran McCulkin it's is fantastic so in that show. Absolutely fantastic. Oh my god, yeah, it's all great. So, yeah, if you haven't watched it yet, like Austin said, go watch it. Now, we are recording this episode on October 6th. It is too late, and I am too tired to do the math when this episode is actually going to be released, but it's spooky season officially, and I, th I think we've announced it by now, but by the time this episode comes out, it doesn't matter because it'll be way past it. But we are doing a Halloween special. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. But because it's spooky season, I had two podcasts I want to suggest. One, and they're both very famous. They're not like underground or anything, but if you want to get into the spooky mood at any point, the Magnus Archives and Old Gods of Appalachia. Both are in the Rusty Quill Network. Um, Old Gods of Appalachia is kind of separate. They're like under the Rusty Quill, but they do their own thing while the Magnus Archives is like the crown jewel of Rusty Quill. Oh my God, if you want to get spooky, both of them great, totally different vibes. Magnus Archives is very, you know, modern London dealing with kind of a found footage in a government library that's going through old creepy footage and reviewing it and just oh my god so good and then old gods of appalachia is basically how it sounds it's great storytelling about creepy witches and haints and darkness in the hills in the like the early 20th century in um appalachia and both are so good so good 
Can't disagree with them enough. Very nice. I will have to check those out myself. Do you want to hear the description? This was the penultimate episode, so the next episode is the last episode of 2001's The Tick, which is a big moment. The last episode, according to the release and the Wikipedia, because this is one of the episodes that's in a different spot. It's weird. That's the probably the weirdest part is the last episode is debated. Very strange. It's season one, episode nine of The Tick, called The Terror. At Arthur and The Tick's one-year anniversary of becoming a team, the group recalls how Captain Liberty, angry at The Tick for stealing her thunder and for his overconfidence, sicked a 112-year-old villain The Terror on him and Arthur. So is this a flashback episode? It sounds like a flashback episode of a 112-year-old old man that was put on the Tick and Arthur by Captain Liberty at some point in the past. I can't imagine that being anywhere else because that kind of feels like a finality when you're like sitting around talking about something that happened in the past. Like that's a very, I mean, we haven't watched the episode yet. At least I haven't watched the episode yet. That sounds like a good last episode of a season, if not for a show. Is this where we find out about the sea captain-dom? I hope so, or Apocalypse Cow. That would be a great comeback. Yes, I would like to know more about Apocalypse Cow. Please. I would. Yeah, there's a apparently a bovine theme in the tick because one of the cards in this deck. Maybe we can go over that next episode. Is just about the tick's relationship with milk. <laughs> like it's, he does mention using spilt milk to put out this burning bridge in this episode. So. I, the picture on the card is also fantastic, but we can go over that in the future. And there was the line about uh, drinking your milk warm or whatever. Yeah, so the tick's got a milk thing, you know, and as we said last episode, no yuck and any yums. If you've got a milk thing, you do you. Drink that forbid milk. Milk it, baby. Why didn't they ever, fuck got milk. Why didn't they ever use milk it, baby? <laughs> um, I can think of some reasons that that would not be good to play on PBS after school. We had banners in our high school, man. Can you imagine if we had Milk It Baby banners in our high school? Like banners that said Milk It Baby? Yeah. You know, that... Mm, I don't even know how to respond to that, Austin. You stumped me. <laughs> I feel like I would be uncomfortable but turned on at the same time, as I am at most times in my life. I have the weirdest boner. Well, I have had most of a bottle of wine, so. Yeah, I think, you know, if you are also uncomfortable and a little turned on, it's okay. It's a pretty normal state of being. We're all here to milk it, baby. Milk it, baby. <laughs> I was trying to say that in a non-sexual way, and it just came out in the strangest way possible. <laughs> no one's turned on, no one's informed, no one's gained anything except discomfort. Good, because... You know, at the end of the day, when you're listening to two 30-year-olds with their Johnsons out in the bathtub talking about a 22-year-old show, that ended too early. That is bathtub season. That's bathtub season. So everyone listening out there, life's hard. I know. I get it. So go take a bath. You deserve it. Till next time. Till next time. <laughs>